So, guys, keep your testicles cool. Avoid hot, <laughs> hot showers. Avoid hot, hot tubs. Uh, laptops on your lap. A ton of biking. I don't know if we're going to do much better for an episode title than keep your testicles cool. Yeah. I think we found the episode <laughs> title right there. Two guys talking about their babies and supporting their ladies. Talking about the struggle. Talking about Big Papa. Welcome to Big Papa's. I'm Pierre Hamilton. I'm Dan Worry Smith. You know what it is. This is a podcast about love and fatherhood. That's right. That's what it That's is. That's right. We're back for another week. Yeah, yeah. We got another episode for you guys. Thanks for We're being with us. We're gonna get into it. Let's get into it. Dan, what are we here to talk about today, man? Well, we're gonna we're gonna speak to a really special guest a little later on and kind of circle back to one of our subjects from season one. Um, but we were just talking before we started rolling here, um, and I kind of wanted to to give a little room to discuss something I've been going through recently. Um, my daughter Goldie is about to turn two. It's it's happening this week, and I think we're officially entering the terrible twos. Bum bum bum. Indeed, the plot thickens <laughs> in a big way. Um, and I, you know, I don't know whether it's just. That's what happens when a kid turns two. She's going through some growing pain stuff. I know she's got some molars coming in, but she has been super moody recently. She's been in a much worse mood, and she'll go through like maybe five, six days where she's just in a bad mood almost the whole time. And uh, one of the things that I've been noticing, and um, I almost hesitated to talk about it a little bit because it's like, it's exposing some weakness, but I've really had to focus on remaining patient with her. Um, you know, it's really easy, especially, you know, she's in daycare right now. And if we pick her up from daycare uh, and I happen to have had a day that was even a little bit stressful, let alone a day where I'm feeling like I'm really, you know, in over my head, just generally as far as my anxiety goes uh, and, and, and I pick her up and she's in a really bad mood, it can be so easy to be impatient with her. Um, so that was something that I wanted to talk about a, a little bit. Um, and I'm sure there are other parents who go through a similar kind of thing, uh, you know, and, and just trying to remind myself that kids don't have anywhere near the kind of context to analyze what it is that might be contributing to their stress. Um, and I also wanted to ask you, because Zadie is, is a year older than Goldie, so you've been going through, I don't know, maybe you're already you're through the worst of it now, but as far as those terrible twos go, you know, what was your experience like getting into that new stage and maybe having to to refocus on your patience with a kid who who doesn't have much of it themselves? Yeah, so <clears throat> the the here's the truth about the terrible twos. Uh it just changes. Uh we're in Zadie's obviously 3, so like it's not terrible, but she I think we squeak through much of the twos without a lot of the terrible. Uh, I heard people talk about it and I, you know, kind of just when people would say it or talk about it or ask how she was, I'd just sort of be like, well, yeah, you know, it's, you know, kind of is what it is. Not wanting to say that for us, it was actually pretty good. Uh, but as she got to three, I mean, I think that for us was a real change. Like she's just uh, moodier. And I mean, it's, it's tantrums like they're very weak in terms of what I've seen out there in the world. Uh, but it, that doesn't make any difference. You know, the other day we were uh, 
you know, I brought her home and it's the kind of thing where we don't let her watch that much TV, but like I'll let her watch a show sometimes if I want to get something done. And I'm like, okay, Zadie, like the show's over and I stop it. And it's just like, she's running into her room crying because the show's over. I just want one more show. <laughs> Can I watch one more? And I'm like, you know, no. Right. And I, I, it's not that I, I don't think it's going to rot her mind, to, but I'm also like, look, we got to set some boundaries here. And, you know, finding the patience or finding that like inner patience in you is difficult. I read something the other day and I don't, I can't, it's going to kill me because I can't, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was like, I think it was maybe like Inuit people or something like don't have, like, there's no yelling. Like the idea that you yell at your kids, like, that's not a thing for them. They're like, if you can't talk to your kid in a way that's calm and even when they're freaking out, like, that's not, they're like, we don't, we don't encourage that. That's not a part of who we are. And I think I read that in, in my mind. I was like, you know, I've, I haven't really yelled at her. I don't think ever, but I've probably raised my voice to be like, Hey, look, this is what I need you to do right now. Um, it doesn't always work. So I often find it's, it is helpful to take a breath and, and kind of be like, Okay, Zadie, you know, look, I'm a little bit frustrated. Like, dad is a bit frustrated, and this is what I need you to do. Does she do it all the way? No, but I think it gives me the second to pause uh, and just to sort of, like, reset and recalibrate. I think the other thing that's really important is having your partner there, right? Sometimes you got to tag out. Like, For sure. I'm terrible at dinner. That's my thing. At dinner time, I'm in there, and if she's, like, not eating or she's, like, throwing something out – She'll immediately go for like the grapes and the vegetables. And I'm like, cool. What about this other stuff that's like real? You need this like sustenance. And she'll be like, well, I don't want it. And I'm like, she's like too spicy. And I'm like, it's not spicy. Like, oh. <laughs> and and it's Jess who will be like cutting off the like little piece of spice that she can see on the band of the pork loin that we made. Right. And then like once that's cut off, she eats it. She's like, oh, it's fine. I'm like, you know, the spices went in there. Like they went through the meat. Right. But you just don't want to see the spice. And so, again, I, I think it it changes from two to three. I've heard people who are now their kids are in high school and they're just like, yeah, it just keeps switching. Like you, if you think it goes away in some way, it just changes to something else. Right. Um, and again, I think the, the the bigger piece is just being patient because, yeah, sometimes they're annoying as shit. And you're just <laughs> like, honestly, I don't have time for this. I'm people are asking me for stuff at work. Maybe I don't have it. <laughs> Maybe I don't have it right now. I can't come home to this kind of life right now. I can't. But again, you got to be like, hey, this person's two. They haven't had like 20, 30 years on the earth to be like, okay, let me figure it out. Let me figure it out. Yeah. It's like like that spice you can see on the piece of meat. It's so easy to to forget even momentarily just about that difference of perception. Right. And it's like, I mean, obviously, it's on us to cater to the kids' perception. They're not about to level up and realize, oh, wait a minute. Uh, yeah, the this... spice is throughout the entire bite. <laughs> what and, was I thinking? And you it's know? good. Yeah. Like, I'm telling you, that spice, di- that dish was very good. Right, right. It's funny that you mentioned dinner. I am like illogically and unnecessarily stressed about a big mess being made at dinner. And Zoe is always, you know, rightfully like making fun of me for it because it's like, yeah, we'll just clean this up. Like it doesn't matter. I worry about that kind of stuff way too much. For, yeah, and yeah, give I, it up. I, I <laughs> give it up because honestly, there is not a day that goes by, not a day that goes by in our house where it's not like I just cleaned up and we leave the house and we come back and like it's like an hour goes by and then I look around and I'm like, oh man, what the shit just happened? How here? did this happen? I'm kidding you. Like a little mini Tasmanian devil just whipped through. Right. 
And you're like, and the whole time you're thinking, oh, it's just we're just keeping her busy. And then you look around, and you're like, there's rice in my shoe. <laughs> what is the cat licking down there? I don't even know. This is bad. But yeah, I give that up. I just let it go, and then I'm like, all right, time to clean. That's that's that's. <laughs> you know, I might have to call you for some support the next time the spaghetti starts flying in, yeah. in our kitchen, <laughs> or just for like actually coming to clean it up. That might be. A oh, that would be I, great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe a business I want to start. <laughs> um. Well, one of the things, obviously, we mentioned earlier in the season that you are just about to uh, to have the arrival of your second kid. It's true. And uh, as we're talking about Zadie a little bit, one of the things I wanted to ask you also was, as you're preparing for the second kid, how do you include Zadie in those preparations? What do you tell her? Mm. And maybe, you know, what can you perceive as far as her ability to grasp this big change that's upcoming? Yeah, so I think for a long time she it seemed cool to her, you know. She was like, "Yeah," but then it became real, right? And she was like, "There was a period where, before we knew uh, um, it was going to be a boy, that she was like, what do you what do you want, Zadie?'" And she's like, "Oh, I want a baby sister." And we were like, "Okay, cool, but we'll figure it out." And then when we found out it was a boy, it was like, "Hey, it's a boy," and she'd be like, "Cool." And then you'd ask her, "Zadie, are you like, what are you, what are we having?" And she'd be like. A baby sister? And you're like, no, that's wrong. Like, you need to check yourself. Um, I think she's, like, right now she's pretty excited. But I think as she's three years old and as she's starting to come into her own a bit more, I think what's happening is that she sees things that are being either transitioned away from her, as in, like, you don't need this anymore. This is going to be for the baby. And she'll be like, no, don't. The, the baby doesn't need that. I'll just keep it in my room for now. And I've heard that from other dads uh, uh, as well, right? They're, they're suddenly it's just like the toy that they never played with for like six to seven months, like collecting dust. There's like moth. all Like they haven't used it. And then suddenly they see you clean it up and like move it into this the, the nursery for the baby. And they're like, hey, what's, what's going on there? Who's that for? What you doing my toy? Yeah. That's not, no. And you're like, oh, we're just going to set it up for the baby. No. <laughs> No, that's mine. It's and like when you see kids play together somewhere and one kid picks up one toy among 400 toys and every kid needs Everyone's that Everyone's like, oh, you no, sharing. Remember sharing, everyone. <laughs> Don't forget. Don't forget. So, you know, that part's been good. We, we told her, like, she knows the name. And th- the funniest thing I actually think is this, is that my parents, and we haven't really told anybody uh, else, so it's just, you know, Jess and I, Zadie, and our cat Langston that know the name. And she she knows the name, but she went away to my my parents the other day and they came back and they were like, hey, so why don't you tell us the name? And Zadie was like, looked at us and was just like tight lipped. And I was like, oh, man, like, you know it and you didn't tell them. And she's like, yeah, it's a secret. And I was like, yes, that's impressive. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I'm also worried that she's really good at keeping secrets, right. but I feel like, you know, I mean, we'll have to, I guess we'll have to, we'll cross that bridge when we get the, one to of those it. double-edged swords. Yeah, huh? yeah, yeah. But I think she's taking it well. I mean, again, I, I've tried to do a few things, you know, um, just we, you know, now that the weather's a little bit better, I'm saying, Hey, let's go for bike rides, you know? So in the morning, Jess will go off to work and now she's, well, now she's off, but I'll say, you know, it's just going to be you and me, Zadie. Like, and, and when the baby's born, it's just going to be you and me for a while. And, and mama's going to be busy with the baby. So it's going to be you and dad. And we're going to have to help and give mom some space. Does she really get it? I, I don't think so. Um, but I, I, I guess I'm hopeful that in trying to approach it, like she's a rational human being 
that some of it slips in. Um, you know, we're doing things like I know her sister-in-law is going to come in. Uh, my sister-in-law is going to come in uh, and her and Jess and Zadie are going to go to the zoo or the science center. Um, I want to take her. We saw her and I have watched the, the Secret Life of Pets. So we're going to go. The second movie's coming out. If yeah. you're and I have your dad, you're, you're jacked. That first one's great. Yeah, the first one is amazing. Uh, <laughs> and so the second one's coming out. And I said, Zadie, you know what? Like, you love this movie. Like, let's go to this movie. And guess what? Louis C.K. isn't going to be in it. Yeah. But that's fine. Good move. That's fine. Good yeah, move. By- he, it, it had to go. He had to go. Big Papa's brought to you by The Secret Life of Pets 2, now 100% CK free. <laughs> I've been looking forward to that. We watched we watched the first one on Netflix, and I, I, maybe you have the same kind of thing too. I'm sure it's pretty common with kids. Like, Goldie can watch it over and over again. And uh, I, I thought it was really good. I, yeah. I, I've been a fan of it. Uh, and I thought about, have you taken Zadie to a movie ever? No. Yeah. So she's I'm, watched, yeah, she's seen some at home. But I'm worried that Goldie won't be down for the full in-theater experience, whether it's just, like, too dark and loud or it's also too long. Like when we watch it at home, it's never one sitting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but it's funny you mentioned that. I, I saw that announced, and I was like, oh, uh, this is, is the first time I've been excited for the announcement of a children's movie since I was a kid. Yeah, um, yeah. That's, uh, that's exciting stuff. So, yeah, I think, <laughs> I mean, I think that that's, at the end of the day, that's sort of what it is, right? It's like... And again, the other thing I've heard from other dads is really just like they're going to need you because they're going to see that for a while anyway, like their other go to, you know, and it's not I think Zadie loves us both, but like she's really connected to her mom. And sure. so, you know, I, I she's she's going to be aware and she's going to be, you know, maybe dealing with emotions that she doesn't really know how to process. And so I, I just try to instill the sense that like you know, let me know how you're feeling. And, you know, there's sometimes when we just chat and I'm just like, you know, remember mom is going to be going through this thing. It's going to be, you know, I just want you to know that I'm here for you. You can talk to me, let me know what's going on. And just, I think trying to make space for the two of us to have some time um, is my approach to trying to, 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 to sort of get her ready. Does she, is she like feeling some kicks on the belly? Like you must be. Yeah, she's right in, in there. there right? And this kid, like, the, yeah, this kid is pretty active, uh, especially at nighttime. Um, and I don't know, we like even, I think we play music for him and like, so I can see him actually moving in there. She seems like mildly interested. I don't know if she ever like, she puts her hand there and she'll kind of be like, okay. Right. And, you know, maybe that's the ba- the moment the baby's like, no, nah, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> and so I think she's, like, less interested in that, but she's more like, oh, the belly. She also really wants to touch Jess's boobs a lot. Okay. Um, and so that's been a thing, really. Jess is always going, like, hey, remember, we have to ask. And then she's like, can I touch your boobies? Which is kind of cute. <laughs> I love the consent lesson. Yeah, it's yeah. Such like, a... it's, it's an important, it's one of them, it's, if not the most important lesson. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so that's definitely another thing that's happening. I'm sure that Zadie and Goldie would join you and I in saying all praise to the moms. All praise. As always. <laughs> well, we're going to get into uh, a really interesting topic on today's episode. Uh, if you listened last season, you'll recall our, our first full episode was on the topic of conception. Yeah. Uh, there was a guest that we were trying to get a hold of uh, for an interview for that episode. It didn't work out at the time. Um, it was a fertility specialist, Dr. Faye Weisberg, um, who helped uh, Zoe and myself, I mean, mostly Zoe, along with uh, our process of conceiving Goldie. Uh, And luckily, we were able to get her to come and and chat with us 
today for, for this episode. So we're excited to speak to Dr. Weisberg, and uh, we'll be right back on Big Papa's Do Just That. Yeah. All right, it's Big Papa's. We are back. And on the phone, we have a very special guest. We're talking to Dr. Faye Weisberg. Dr. Weisberg works in gynecology and reproductive medicine. She's the clinic director at First Steps Fertility Clinic in Toronto. She's also an assistant professor at the University of Toronto. Hi, Dr. Weisberg. How you doing? Doing really well. Thank you for being with us. Pierre's waving. No problem. We're, yeah, we're both waving. waving. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I think there's probably a lot of either first-time dads or, or dads who are having, uh, you know, multiple kids who may have a partner who requires some fertility treatment and uh, and they may not know anything about it or, or know very little. So just as far as getting into it at first here, can you give like a basic description of, you know, what your clinic and other fertility clinics might be doing and, and what couples can expect to encounter when they come into that kind of an office? Sure. I think, I think it's um, important to know that, that the decision when to, when a couple decides to go fertility treatment is, is sort of the first sort of thing. Cause a lot of couples will decide to have a family and, um, and they have trouble. And then it's like, how long should we wait? What's going on? And the sort of the amount of time or how much a couple can actually take before they do something is very variable. But I think that it's important that couples together decide that they need some help. And um, often they're referred to a fertility clinic. So fertility clinics are unique. Uh, they're run, um, the physician, the doctors that run it are physicians. They're gynecologists that have had extra training in what we call reproductive medicine, which is really the hormone part of gynecology. And patients usually come as a couple. Uh, they register at the desk. And then um, in my clinic, I see them myself and I go through a history. Usually it's a history of how long they've been trying to have a family, followed by a history of just the woman or, uh, and then a history for the male partner. And sometimes the history, uh, a good careful history will actually come up with some causes or some issues that need to be investigated for fertility. But Usually, the initial investigation is divided into both partners. So, from the male point of view, uh, they would have blood work done to check their thyroid and the hormones that are important to produce sperm. And the sort of bread and butter and the thing that every guy tends to sometimes dread is, is a semen analysis. And a semen analysis is, is just what it is men ejaculate um, into a cup. And then the lab will read the, that test and they'll come up with what we call a sperm count, which is the number of sperm, how fast they move, how they move, and they're often sent off for culture to look to see if there's any infection in the sperm test. This is all sounding very familiar to me. I, I went through this process <laughs> at your office. So, uh, kind of a weird, awkward process, but, uh, but very necessary. It's very necessary. And as I always tell my patients, you know, Especially, I mean, to the to the male, this is, you you usually only need to do it once, and then we move on. And I think it's also important that from just from a guy's perspective, and you might even want to comment on this, is when a couple comes to the office, and and there's so much that we look at from the female partner, you know, her hormones, her cycles, the anatomy, you know, we sort of look at many many different aspects. And this is the one thing: the sperm test is sort of like what the guy brings to the table. And, uh, and I think there's a lot of pressure on them for that. What do you think? Uh, yeah, you know what? I, I don't know that I'd thought of it that way myself. I, I think Pierre and I talk a lot on the show 
about the imbalance um, that, you know, the women are taking on almost every single responsibility when it yeah. comes to procreation. And so whatever it is that's required of us is like, yes, what, whatever you need, no problem. We're there for it. Um, yeah, I found it was more a kind of thing that just felt kind of funny to me right. than, than a burden or anything like okay, that. Okay, good. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, certainly... Uh, if any dads are listening to this and uh, and maybe about to go through this process themselves, you know, just try to remind yourself how much easier it is for us than it is for our partners. Uh, <laughs> Very true. Yeah. Um, so um, it's it's funny, uh, Dr. Weisberg, because I, I just I love watching trailers. Like I, I, I like watching movies, too, but sometimes I just like watching trailers. And I just happened to be watching a trailer, I think, actually last night. And it was a movie about a couple that it's been like, you know, years. They've been trying for years to have a kid. And then, you know, there's the scene where they're in the, the fertility doctor's office. And, you know, the doctor says to the woman, like, your uterus is the best. It's amazing. Obviously, it's a comedy. So and then and then they sort of pan over to the guy and then they're like, well, when was the last time you got tested? And, you know, it's this big dun, dun, dun Who, moment. Right. Yeah. And so I, Dan and I were talking about this even before we we, we we talked to you. And it's just like it does seem like there's an imbalance in that, you know, it, for whatever reason, the bulk of the work or the even thinking about it seems to be on the woman. And it's just the guy is over there being like, well, I mean, everything on my end seems to be working fine. So it can't right. be Right. Unless, I'm sorry for interrupting you, unless, of course, there is a problem with the sperm. Right. And then no matter what we put the female patient through in terms of testing and and treatments and stuff, you know, it is it is way more devastating proportionally if there's a problem with the sperm. And then the women end up becoming the caregiver, not only of their own bodies, but of their partners to try to soothe the soul. Mm -hmm. I wonder if there are times when you're encountering that kind of an issue and did you ever feel like you have to kind of dance delicately around like some issues of masculinity or any of that type of like a pride sort of thing for if a dad wasn't maybe expecting to be um, the issue that's holding up uh, conception? Well, you know, I think that we, I mean, maybe it's different from a female physician than a male fertility physician, but I do have my own little way of dealing with this. It's very delicate. If there's a problem on the first sperm test, and I, I, I typically tell the, the male that if there's a problem, I'll call you myself and I'll say, come back and do another one without really saying what the problem is. Because a second test might be totally normal if the first one was abnormal. Hmm. We're really lucky in Toronto is that we have an amazing male infertility clinic um, downtown at Mount Sinai Hospital. So if there is a problem with the sperm, I will refer the couple down to the male fertility clinic. Um, for investigations and treatment or treatment suggestions. But at the end of the day, the couple tell has to come back to me to put it all together. So I think that what I see is at the end of the day, when couples come back to see me and this is, you know, that maybe there really isn't any sperm or the sperm has to be retrieved from, from an operation through the testicles that um, it is very delicate and, and it is very hard for, for the males um, to, to deal with this, um, and there, I find that the the stronger the relationship between the the couple, the easier it is to go through it. But if there's any sort of, you know, I'm the dude kind of situation, it's very difficult. And I've seen couples back away more at times with a male problem than anything else. Interesting. I, I guess that's not surprising. Yeah, yeah. Um, how do you find generally? 
um, first-time dads or at least first-time dads that are going through the fertility process for the first time, how do you find them to be when you encounter them, when you meet them for the first time coming into your office? You know, um, I think that like like so many parts of, of my where I am and, and uh, my position, I see a lot of different things. Um, a lot of times um, the couples will come together. They're, 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 you know, in the, in the waiting room and I see the interaction and, and they come into the office and they both talk, they both answer questions. They're both totally engaged in, in this. And, and a lot of times the guys will say, well, what can I do to help or what's my role or, or what else can I do? Um, and then the other extreme is when a woman will come in on her own. Uh, my, my husband was too busy. My husband couldn't come. My husband wants me to get checked out first before he's involved. Mm. And, and that often is a sticky situation for me. And I will always tell the patient, look, at 40% at least of patients that I see have a, a problem with, with your part of the male, the sperm. And often there's combined problems. And I would hate to put you through all sorts of things without knowing what the other, what the other side of the coin is. Um, the other thing that I'll see is, is women will sometimes come in and they'll put their husbands on speakerphone or want me to write a note or an email to explain to their husbands what's going on because they're not coming and they don't get the full story and there's always questions and concerns. So from my point of view, guys that are listening, please go to the office visits with, with your partner. And, and if you have specific concerns, don't ask your partner to ask the doctor. Go in. Leave a phone, leave a message. I, I mean, I will always call you back, but, but communicate your own concerns. Don't use your partner as a segue for information. It, it's as stressful enough. You don't need to do that. That's great advice. Yeah, that sounds really valuable. And, I, you know, it, that underscores something that I, I think in a, in a loving, supportive relationship should be a constant, which is just feeding that communication and not shutting things down like that and being open to talking about the unknown and kind of plunging in. And, and as long as you're doing it together, um, that even if it's scary or, you know, if there's some bumps along the way that you're stronger for, for bringing those topics up as opposed to kind of burying them at all. A hundred percent. And that, you know, sometimes goes back to the strength of the relationship, you know, for a couple to have a family, whether, whether, you know, they have fertility issues or not, you have to have a strong relationship because being parents is tough. And um, and adding the pressure of an infertility clinic and and bringing out insecurities from either him or her about their fertility just adds that much more stress to a relationship. So, you know, I guess that's my, you know, my other little pearl is make sure you have a strong relationship and you're going forward as a loving couple to have a family and raise a family together as opposed to, you know, hey, if we, if it happens, it happens and we're okay or or, you know, maybe maybe having a baby will help or something that doesn't make sense for the relationship at the time because all of this is very tough. I want to I maybe just go back to something I think you said there. So, you know, obviously the, the show is very much about trying to explore, you know, the, the, the male perspective to, to parenting and, and trying to keep in mind, I think uh, Dan and I try to, I guess I hope, embrace sort of a feminist approach to, to, to being dads. Yeah. Um, one of the things you were talking about there was, and I didn't even really know that this existed, that there was a specifically a male fertility clinic. So maybe just very quickly, if you can, um, what is it, like, if there are issues, and I know there could be a whole host of reasons why, mm -hmm. but if somebody goes to that that male fertility clinic, or even if they go to talk to you, what are some of the things that they might have to do, um, you know, if, if something isn't necessarily right? Well, 
you know, they definitely need blood work and, and look at their hormones. And if the hormones are abnormal or there's any concern, they might have further testing like, you know, an MRI or a, a test of their, of their brain because there's a small little gland that can affect fertility in men. Um, the other thing is a very common thing is they'll have to have, you know, at least one or two more semen analysis um, to be sent off for different tests. And uh, often men will have a scrotal ultrasound. So um, they'll go to either the same place their wife goes or another ultrasound facility, and they'll have scrotal ultrasound to look specifically for varicose veins around the testicle, which are actually a very common cause of fertility issues for men. So um, if there is varicose veins, then the uh, urologist that, that see them can offer uh, different types of, of procedures to block the varicose veins. So if, you're, if you think about it, testicles are out of your body to keep them cool. So if there's varicose veins and the flow around them is sluggish, then it's going to decrease the sperm, either the integrity of the sperm, how good it works, or the counter, how fast they move. So embolizations or, or blocking those varicose veins are quite common. If a man doesn't have any sperm at all and there's no blockage to the outflow, then sometimes they'll undergo a procedure where a piece of their uh, where their scrotum is opened up and a piece of testicle is actually removed and and look and sperm is looked for, um, and that's called a testicular biopsy. If that happens, then often the that piece of testicular testicular tissue will be taken to an IVF unit and and sperm will be looked at and the sperm will be frozen to be used for treatment for the wife later. So the options are are fascinating and they're becoming increasingly more available to our patients. Um, but there are lots of things that can be done now that certainly weren't available 10 or 20 years ago for male infertility, which is great. Okay. Don't be scared out there, guys. Yeah. No, it's... <laughs> so, guys, keep your testicles cool. Avoid hot, <laughs> yeah. hot showers. Avoid hot, hot tubs. Uh, laptops on your lap. A ton of biking. Um, and oh, no. Wait clean. a second. A ton of biking. Yeesh. <laughs> a ton so, of biking. Yeah, okay. I'm... I'm, I'm... <laughs> I'm I'm like I'm just thinking about all the biking I've done and I was like, oh, I, I things worked out okay for me, but I guess like I didn't so, I never you know, considered. If, if God forbid they didn't work out well for you, that might be one of the one first of the things reasons. to go out of your lifestyle. Huh. I don't know if we're gonna do much better for an episode title than keep your testicles cool. Yeah, I think we found the episode <laughs> title right there. What are are, are there uh, beyond that uh, that 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 first piece of advice? Are there any other tips or or things to consider because I know I heard um, uh, some friends uh, uh, before uh, my wife and I were trying to get pregnant. They were trying, and at one point I remember they actually went to a doctor, and the doctor came back and was like, "Hey, do you guys do drugs?" And they were like, "Uh, yeah." And they were like, "Oh, okay, we might. That might be an issue." Are Are there things like that that could play into? Yeah, into so it as we well? do know that marijuana is actually really bad for um for sperm motility and sperm function. Uh, alcohol, um, smoking. So all of the lifestyle, you know, and probably alcohol as well. So all of the things that uh, we talk about clean lifestyle, and we talk about women who are trying to get pregnant and women who are pregnant really do apply for men. And you guys are quite lucky because you regenerate sperm every three months. So you have, you know, three months, you know, live clean and often sperm will recover and do much better. The other thing is blueberries uh, have been shown to be like dark skin fruit, but especially blueberries are really good for uh, sperm and frequent ejaculation that if you don't ejaculate, you know, once or twice a week, then the testicles will build up a, a product called nitric oxide, which can be quite damaging to sperm. 
See, we so got there some, are some lifestyle things that are out there. We got some good news for you too, dads. Yeah. <laughs> Frequent ejaculation is healthy. Let it fly. That's right. Oh, <laughs> you know, that's a pretty good one in my office. And men will sort of elbow their wives and go, see, honey, I wasn't see, wrong. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Well, uh, you learn one or two new things every day. I hope every episode, at least you learn a thing or two. Well, then that's a good day. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe another uh, question is, I know, uh, I'm thinking about this, and I, I think, you know, people often say, you know, they're a kid, they're like, I want to be a doctor, I want to be a lawyer. Maybe no one at that stage thinks I want to be a tax fertility lawyer doctor. or a fertility <laughs> doctor. How did you right. get? How did you get to this place? Oh, well, you're gonna be surprised at my answer, actually. <laughs> so um, back in the day when I was in medical school, and, and lifestyles were not thought about the same way they are now, I I just decided that I wanted to go in obstetrics and deliver babies for the rest of my life because what could be better? And I did. I had a very busy obstetrical practice, uh, but also in medical school, I got this bug about hormones, and I, I really loved the way that hormones were like the, the puzzle that helps the body work, and, and I thought it was amazing. But I didn't know how to incorporate the hormone part into, into delivering babies, and then infertility was actually just starting to become a practice back in the, um, I'm not going to tell you, mid-80s when I graduated from medical school. And I did my residency, but I really did fall in love with, with infertility um, because of the way the hormones work. Plus, my parents back in the 50s, my mother had a problem getting pregnant. And when she was telling me the story when I was in medical school, which was the first time I had sort of ever heard of it, I was fascinated by even how, you know, how, how the technology was evolving so quickly and um, and that's why I did fertility because of the hormones, my mother's story. And in a lot of medicine is changing so rapidly, but the technology and, and what's available for fertility now is so exciting and, and so very different than even five or 10 years ago. So that's how I got here. Okay. I'm, I'm sure, you know, all of the, the years that you spent delivering babies, there have to be a lot of really joyful memories from that time. Uh, I'm imagining that, uh, you know, as a fertility specialist, there's probably situations where maybe you've been seeing a couple for a really long period and they're finally able to conceive and, you know, maybe you follow up with them, you meet their baby or at least see a photo or something. I'm wondering if maybe we can finish off with some really positive recollections that you have of the impact that you've been able to have on, on people's lives having kids. So, you know, that's a, that's a great question. When I deliver babies, you know, like you're sort of part of this very intimate moment in a couple when you're standing there holding their, their newborn baby. And that was always such a great part of delivering babies. But, you know, as a particular doctor, you, you actually change lives. You know, you, you take couples that are hopeless and, and, you know, seemingly sad and destined to a life without a family that they so want into something very different. And that's a privilege to be part of. And, you know, even though we know that the odds are somewhat against us in many, many ways for many couples for fertility, those moments when you can, when patients will, like I had a patient last week who came to say that I, I changed her life and I'll never know the kind of impact that I had on her family. But those are such special things to be told and, and special moments to be part of for a couple that that's what keeps me going. But I have a story. I have a patient, um, whose grandmother was a very good friend of my parents. And um, then her mother became my patient, and then she became my patient, and her and her husband were struggling with fertility for a very long time and needed help from other family members to make this family happen. And 
when she got pregnant, I called her and I was actually crying. I said, look, it, this is like the fifth generation for us. And that's quite special to be part of. That's beautiful. Um, I'm, this is such an illuminating conversation. And, um, you know, thank you for, for being with us on the show and also well, thanks for asking me for your contribution to society and humanity. Uh, you know, I think uh, <laughs> oh, please stop. <laughs> I, I will not stop Dr. Weisberg. Um, we, uh, we, we really do appreciate you taking the time and, um, giving us so much useful stuff. I'm sure there are dads out there who, you know, will feel a little less afraid of, of a process that they might not have known a lot about. And uh, obviously, we urge those dads to, you know, face whatever your responsibilities are through the process of trying to conceive head on and hopefully without fear and hopefully with the strength of your partnership and communication and all of that. And um, uh, th- thanks so much, Dr. Weisberg. It was great chatting Thank with you. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us. That's Dr. Thanks. Faye Weisberg. I'm Dan. That's Pierre. And we'll be right back with more Big Papas. This has been Big Papas. We thank you so much for joining us for another episode. Huge thanks to Dr. Faye Weisberg. That was uh, one of the best interviews we've done and uh, hopefully useful to some of you dads and maybe even moms out there, all that great information that she had. Yeah, I I think, guys, there's a lot of information out there on the Internet, so I want to do something just for you guys because I, I took my own notes during this episode. I just want to leave you guys with three things that I learned from Dr. Weisberg. Number one. Number one, keep your testes cool. Ooh. That's a number one, okay? Number two, you got to ejaculate often. You can't let that sit, build, you can't let it build up. You heard it from the expert herself. She said, I, I mean, I need to go back and look, because that's like, I just didn't know that. She was like, if you don't do it often, stuff gets in there and it makes it not work well. <laughs> Like, again, that's a very technical description of what I'm sure Dr. Weisberger would be like right now. She's like, I can't believe I talked to those guys. (laughs) I can't believe they took that nugget that I gave them and made it so they dumbed it all the way down. A couple of yahoos. I did it. What do you got in the three spot? Third, the most important in this day and age right now, we live in a computer world. Uh Keep your laptop off your lap. It's called a laptop. I know. That's what I know. I'm confused. It's really hard. So just call it a top for now Uh and put it away. (laughs) Just put it away. You're thinking about, oh, I need to check the I need to check the sports score. No. Don't let it not on your lap. Not on your loins. Uh Uh-uh. Not on your loins, on your lap. Keep it away from your lap. Those are those loins nice and cool. Cool. And computer free. (laughs) Cool. Ejaculate often. No laps on laptops. (laughs) No laps on laps. No laps on laps. That's what you that's what you need to know. At the end of this episode, I'm just chunking it for you so you can save it, retain uh-huh. that information better. Uh-huh. Again, guys, this is why you listen. This is what Big Papas is all about. So come back next week. We're going to have more for you. Dan, I don't know what else we got to say. I think that's all. All right. Bye. We'll, we'll see you next week. Yeah.